Hello everyone, I'm delighted to welcome you to the Power and Purpose Through Peace podcast. My name is Bulitiwi Aishimoju. I founded Magni Essence Coaching to help you reconnect with yourself, magnify your essence and reveal your magnificence. You see, to lead meaningful lives we all need purpose. To fulfill our purpose, we need power. And to be truly powerful, we need to tune into a space of peace. My podcasts bring you information and inspiration that help you activate the power, purpose and peace you need to be the change you want to see in the world. Of course, in a happy, healthy and sustainable way. As of today, the 18th of June 2020, According to worldometer.info, there are now about 8,500,000 global cases of COVID-19, with over 452,000 people who have lost their lives, whilst about 4.5 million people have recovered. These figures are alarming, and the impact on individuals, families, communities, nations, and the world as we know it is tremendous. An article a pandemic even worse than COVID-19, written by Dr. Aisha Mujib, thus gave me some food for thought. Dr. Abayami Aishimoju is a consultant physician, neurologist, and homeopath. He practices holistic, integrated medicine, using natural methods to find the root causes of disease, thus enabling one enjoy better health and well-being. His approach takes into consideration the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and social aspects. As an offshoot of a subspeciality in neurology, Dr. Aishimudu is also a brain coach and trainer in brain optimization for excellent performance at the corporate and personal level. His clients include the prestigious World Bank, several multinationals, and hundreds of individuals who've described his work with them as nothing short of transformational. Dr. Aisha Mudu, I'm honored to have you on the Power and Purpose Through Peace podcast with me today. And I'm sure that those listening will take away some concrete action plan, points and plans to bolster the immune systems and furthermore live more fulfilling lives. Thank you very much for making the time to connect with us today. Thank you very much, Bolu. It's a pleasure to be at this podcast. And I do hope that our listeners will go away with a lot of benefit. I'm, I'm very sure they will. We hear all kinds of things. As a neurologist and brain coach, given the damage of the viral pandemic, what could possibly be worse? Yes, thank you, Bolu. It is true that the viral pandemic has done what you can describe as a colossal damage, affecting well over 8 million people, as you said in your introduction, and that has also claimed over 450,000 lives. And so indeed the question could arise, or perhaps one should say should arise, as to what could be worse, as is indicated in the topic that we are discussing. What I'm referring to here is the pandemic of fear that's accompanying this pandemic of viral infection. A pandemic of fear that is globally 
hijacking the human brain and mind. This pandemic of fear has certainly contributed to the COVID-19 infection rate, as well as death and disease arising therefrom, as would be the case with anything causing significant stress and destabilization of the mind. Stress, which accompanies all forms of fear, is known to be a proxy killer in about 80% of deaths, generally speaking. So we can only begin to guess at the possible toll of such fear as grips the world these days as a result of COVID-19 pandemic. This is what we're talking about. Extremely clear. So from what I understand, in addition to the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic of itself, we also have the impact or additional impact of fear in terms of the lives claimed or the that impact is, of the disease. That is very true. Wow. Could you explain to us exactly what the immediate impact of fear is on us, please? Thank you. The immediate impact of fear on us is that it evokes a stress response. Hmm. In the working of nature, it puts us in a state that makes us more readily able to fight whatever it is that is causing the fear or flee from the situation that is causing this fear. And sometimes you don't fight and you don't flee, you find yourself freezing. Now, the changes taking place in the body during such stress response are designed really to help us survive. When we are in this state of fear, which is a state of stress really, we take in more oxygen, our airways dilate, we breathe deeper and faster. There's more blood flowing to our muscles so we can run faster or fight more effectively. The blood flow to the skin, on the other hand, decreases so that in case we are injured by whatever it is that is threatening us, the injury is not likely to make us lose that much blood. Then you have sugar being pumped into the blood for more energy. The pupils dilate. We can see better. We can focus better. All this in aid of our need to successfully survive the situation. But this is all well and good in emergencies and can only increase our survival. Having said that, however, even in emergencies, depending on the constitution of the individual and the particular situation giving cause to the fear, the one concerned can become completely overwhelmed and come into a state that you would describe as one of helpless wreck. It has been found, for example, that people have their fear 
and anxiety thermostat set differently. The part of the brain that primarily responds to fear is called the amygdala. For some people, the responsiveness of this amygdala is set low, and in others, it is set quite high. And those in whom it is set low are more likely to fight whatever the danger is, whereas those in whom it is set high would rather flee from the danger or freeze in consequence of it. But of particular relevance to what we are experiencing concerning this COVID-19 and the fear it has generated all over the world is that there's another aspect of the response to fear which has to do with fear that is perpetrated by the individual's own negative fear-inducing thoughts, especially when this goes on for a prolonged period. Hmm. And there have been experiments showing that just thinking of things that cause you fear for, say, over a 30-minute period compared to thinking about things that you are grateful for over that same period. It has been been shown that there's a dramatic difference in the blood supply to different vital parts of the brain, depending on whether you've been thinking about things that you dread, things that cause you fear, things that cause you stress on the one hand, or you've been thinking about things that really make you happy, things for which you are grateful. These two types of thinking have a powerful effect on the difference that they make as to the blood flow to certain vital parts of the brain. And very key among the affected parts of the brain is the cerebellum. This is so-called the so-called small brain. Mm. And it is located at the back of the head, just where the neck joins the skull. And the use of special scans has revealed that the blood supply to the cerebellum is practically shut down from prolonged, intense thinking about what you dread. The significance of this is that the cerebellum happens to be the part of the brain that not only coordinates and refines our physical movements, but it has now been known to also coordinate our thoughts and to also coordinate our speech. Indeed, it is that part of the brain that determines the speed at which the entire brain processes information. So you can imagine that shutting down blood supply to this part of the brain as a result of fear from any cause, including COVID-19, can render us useless, really, in dealing effectively with the situation, dealing with it squarely and reasonably. 
And moreover, this same Sri Lebanon is now also recognized to be a seat of intuition and creativity. And the role of the cerebellum in intuition also means that when the cerebellum is shut down, there will also be disconnection from the necessary spiritual guidance and protection, which would have dire consequences at any time at all, under any circumstances, including such circumstances as we are experiencing today with COVID-19. And in addition to all I've said so far, the stress response will also bring about a serious impairment of the human, of the human body's immunity. And so the emotion of fear, the changes in our response to it due to negative effects of the immune system will reduce our innate ability to protect ourselves against COVID-19 and other ailments. Those are the things that are consequences of fear accompanying COVID-19 or indeed fear wherever it has it is present in us for any prolonged period. That was extremely revealing and um, it was very, very tightly packed with all kinds of nuggets, I would say. I'm sure we could go on a course on this. I'd like to focus on a few points. You mentioned how fear or being in a state of fear for a prolonged period of time can actually affect our creativity. And we live today in very interesting times, times where everybody is having to rethink how we live. So I can now understand why you would say that fear is actually even a greater pandemic. Not only does it affect the ability to either defend ourselves in terms of not um, getting COVID or not succumbing to COVID, uh, but it also affects our ability to deal with it, even though we may not be personally concerned, but for the homes that we manage or the societies or countries, etc. So this is extremely essential that that Mm -hmm. people are aware of this as as not not succumbing to that fear, no matter how tempting it may be. Now, um, you also mentioned something earlier, which was how some people have a high um, setting and a low setting. Um, I was very curious, so I wondered what's the right setting, because the high setting, if I recall, was flee, and the low setting was fight. <laughs> so is the middle setting the right setting? <laughs> yes, indeed, one can, one can put it that way, because when your, your thermostat mm-hmm. is set too low, mm-hmm. you might find yourself taking risks that could mm-hmm. be dangerous for you. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when it is set so that everything overwhelms you and renders you useless, Again, you're not likely to be able to to survive as much as well as you should. And so, yes, the middle course here is also the best. Right. All right. Okay, so from what I understand, although fear has such a negative impact on our bodies and minds, it does serve us sometimes, as you said. You know, sometimes it is important to um, 
flee or to protect oneself if that, if that might be the case. Um, so what I'm trying to ask here is, is it a question of dose? Yes. I think we touched this, we touched upon this uh, in our immediately preceding th this discussion. Mm -hmm. Yes, the, the fear is really meant to aid our survival. Mm -hmm. But it does this, however, when it is in the right degree, mm -hmm. to the right extent, and when it induces the right kind of behavior mm -hmm. to deal with the danger in question or keep it at bay. Mm -hmm. And so this is what the fight or flight response is supposed to do. And when the danger is over in emergencies, then the body recovers from the physiological and biochemical changes of stress that take place during the response to stress without causing permanent harm. But this is different from the effect of fear that is perpetuated over a long time by our own very thoughts or fear from factors that you can hardly fight or flee from. You remember people refer to the COVID-19 as the unseen hmm. enemy. Mm -hmm. The other circumstances that you may find yourself in a stressful situation as you can hardly run away from or fight, will include some social circumstances like bullying, mm. like domestic violence in some cases, the relationship between a boss and a subordinate, if it's an unfriendly one. Mm -hmm. And now the COVID-19 seems to be something that falls into that uh, category. Mm. So it's really a matter of the right degree of, should I say, anxiety mm -hmm. that will urge you to take the right measures, not being careless and not being overwhelmed by your response to that which causes you fear or anxiety. That is the way I can put my answer for that to that question it's very clear and i'm glad you actually underlined again something that was very important which was that yes sometimes we may feel fear and that itself is not necessarily the danger but that mm -hmm. the, the two things number one what do we do as a result of the fear so our behavior which will lead to the results that's a very important yeah. thing for us to be conscious of and the second thing which i think is something we really needs to really be very aware of is for how long we allow this emotion of fear stay with us or tune into it. Absolutely. Another point that you mentioned, which I thought was really so important, is because we often look at fear as being generated by something external. So a bully, a boss, um, somebody who's going to do this or that, or not do this or that as, as, as it may be. But how about our own thoughts? And mm -hmm. that is something, or maybe the only thing that we truly have any form of control over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, wow, this is, this is very, very, very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. So we obviously cannot ignore the long-term consequences 
of fear on our brains, bodies, and minds. Um, my question is, are these consequences reversible? Oh, certainly. The consequences can be reversible, especially if they have not advanced too far. Mm. And in the study of medicine, any diseases which can be the consequence of long-term fear or long-term stress would fall into the category of what you call lifestyle diseases, mm. like high blood pressure or heart disease. These days, even things like cancer, you cannot exclude them mm. from the category of lifestyle diseases. Mm. And so such diseases are amenable also to lifestyle changes at the mental level, the nutritional level, the habit level, the attitudinal level, mm-hmm. and also, of course, by taking other measures that will enhance your health generally, such as the use of nutritional supplements. So they can be reversed depending on just how far advanced they have gone. What led to them, if you take that away and you support the body, with what would engender health in it, would reverse those changes that stress may have brought about. Yeah. So to put it in other words, if one has had a certain, let's say, perception of life, which has been pretty dire, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of negativity, and this has affected one's um, physical health or or even mental well-being, Depending on when this is caught, it is possible to reverse the impact, even at a physical level, by changing one's perception. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Because it is the perceptions, the thoughts, the attitudes, the behavior that will give rise to changes at the chemical level, at the biological level, that we end up in what you call disease. Mm. So when you stop those things that led to the disease condition, then reversal begins to take place, bringing you ever nearer to normal or to the norm again. It's, it's all within our control most of the time. So we cannot afford to only look at well-being and health from a food or nutritional perspective, or from a medicinal perspective, as in the taking of drugs, we have to consider also what's going on in our minds. Absolutely. In fact, there are schools of thought mm-hmm. where you think about the, the pillars of holistic health. Mm-hmm. And some will put the very first pillar as your mental attitude. It's so powerful, and to stand side by side with your nutrition, side by side with your lifestyle, and side by side with the fourth leg of the table, which has to do with other supplementary measures that you want to take regarding your health. But the mental attitude is so important, I wouldn't even put any other 
of the four legs of the table on which holistic health rests. Higher than that is so very powerful. Hmm. All right. Before we go into how these um, consequences can be reversed where it is still possible, I would like to know if in contrast to fear and its negative impact on our health, there are emotions that have a positive impact on us. Very certainly, because just like negative emotions like fear have their adverse effects on our health, so do positive emotions have positive impact on our health. Appreciation, for example, has been shown to have the opposite effect of fear on the human brain in that it actually increases the blood flow to those areas that are starved of blood by fear, including the cerebellum, again, which I pointed out specifically earlier on during this interview. And there have been studies that very convincingly demonstrate the positive effect of love, for example, on health both for those expressing the love and for those who are beneficiaries of the love. Practically every emotion, every mental attitude has been studied as to the effect on health and the kind of disease that it is likely to predispose to. For example, a person who is very hostile in his or her attitude could be easily predisposed to heart disease. Those, for example, who have a stoic attitude, denying their emotions, saying that nothing gets to them, hmm, they could be candidates for cancer. And there's been this very famous study of over 10,000 men who were interviewed, who were asked to fill questionnaires, trying to find out just what it is in the person's life that is so critical to as to determining whether the person comes down with disease or not. And these men were investigated they were interrogated as to whether they had high blood pressure, they, had, they were smokers, or they had heart disease, or conditions predisposing them to heart disease. And they were also asked questions about their lives, about their relationships. And it turned out that what was most important, most important determining factor as to whether this man remained healthy or did not remain healthy, was not those physical parameters, like if they had blood pressure or they were smokers and so on and so forth, but it was the answer to the question, do you feel loved and supported by your wife? Hmm. Those who could say yes to that wholeheartedly, they stood apart from the others irrespective of what the other facts and figures stated. These are just illustrations of just how very powerful 
our emotional states, our mental attitudes are regarding our health or regarding our susceptibility to disease. It's a very, very strong aspect of our life, very important aspect of our lives, which if we paid more attention to, could spare us a lot of pain. Wow. Yes. So from what you said, the men who felt that they were loved and supported by their wives actually showed better physical or mental, were in better health, basically. Yes. The others. Yes, mm. absolutely. So the saying, happy wife, happy life, is true. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> that is, that, that, that's the happy wife, happy life. <laughs> but, but, but what you can also be sure uh-huh. is that those wives also who mm. genuinely, mm. you know, loved and supported their husbands, when looked into, you'll find they will also derive benefit for their health from that. That's why I said the giver of the love benefits, Mm. the beneficiary of the love benefits. Benefits as well. Even more beautiful would be when you talk of man and wife, for example, that they're both givers and they're both beneficiaries. Mm. So Beautiful. And you mentioned appreciation as being uh, an emotion that was basically almost with its impact the opposite of fear and there's a saying that's saying what we appreciate appreciates in other words that which we're grateful for will manifest more in our lives it'll be interesting to understand the neurological and biochemical impact of gratitude oh definitely this has been studied specifically and contrary to what happens in fear Mm -hmm where blood is shut off from several vital areas of the brain, in the case of gratitude, the person who is able to bring gratitude to life within herself over the space of, say, 30 minutes, and who has a special scan, the so-called SPECT scan, done thereafter, it will be seen in the brain of such a person that the brain would light up like a Christmas tree. And that would be an indication of increased blood supply to those areas of the brain that would otherwise have been starved of blood by fear. In addition to that, however, When you experience gratitude, there are certain chemicals produced in the brain and in the body. We call them the neurotransmitters. And two of them are key. You produce more dopamine and you produce more serotonin. Dopamine is that neurotransmitter that gives you a sense of pleasure of reward. Whether it is food that you are enjoying and you experience it as a reward or something you're drinking or any other pleasurable activity like being with friends, for example. And serotonin is also a feel-good transmitter 
It uplifts your mood and increases your sense of self-esteem. In fact, those who are depressed, they are known to have a deficiency of serotonin in their system. And so, gratitude will increase all these feel-good neurotransmitters which have a positive effect on health and your mood and your sense of well-being. This is what happens with gratitude. Hmm. So, if, for example, a person starts practicing gratitude, um, consciously trying to be in a state of gratitude, either regularly during the day or they take aside some minutes during the day to practice gratitude, would that in itself help reduce the impulse to be fearful? Could it work that way? De definitely, because the practice of gratitude, mm -hmm. to start with, those neurotransmitters that are increased when you practice gratitude, they are neurotransmitters that, to all intents and purposes, are hardly compatible with fear. The balance of neurotransmitters in your body with increased serotonin and increased dopamine will be such that the soil in you with that kind of balance would be hardly compatible with fear. Not to mention that the practice of gratitude and the production of these neurotransmitters will also have the effect of rewiring your brain so that your brain would tend to be in a state of greater calm, greater sense of well-being, and less readily disrupted by fear, which is really what we're talking about as to whether with this kind of practice you end up being less susceptible to fear. Definitely, this is what will happen. Well, that's beautiful. So by practicing more appreciation, more gratitude, one tunes better or more into peace and thus protects oneself um, from being, I like the way you put it, disrupted by fear, correct? That is correct. That is correct. Beautiful. Now we've explored some interesting themes. It's time for a short break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Power and Purpose Through Peace podcast. You mentioned that being in a state of fear dampens our intuitive faculty. How would you define intuition and why, in your opinion, is this important? Yes. Intuition is that which just simply comes to you seemingly out of the blue, an idea, a thought, a perception, an awareness, something which is not a result of your thinking it out, not the result of logical analysis, not necessarily based on some facts and figures you look out and from which you draw conclusions. 
it comes, as I said, seemingly out of the blue. And the way why it happens this way is that really intuition is spiritual sensing. Spiritual sensing that arises from beyond the limitations of time and space that the earthly senses are subject to. And the, the cerebellum is the seat of reception of your intuitive impulses or your intuitive perception. And it is just for this reason that intuition is spiritual, that it has that great importance of making it possible for us to have mediated to us, for us to receive ideas or guidance of a spiritual nature, with which we can always do, because it's not everything to which we have an answer just on the basis of what we can see around us or just on the basis of what we can think out. A lot can come from a higher level that can throw vital light and give us vital help under any circumstance. Hmm. And so again, like creativity, it's extremely important for us to stay in a state of peace and more spiritual connectivity because one would also argue, or some people would argue, that in the times that we stand, nobody truly has an answer. And it, it, there has been no better time for us to actually look up for help and to receive. Um, because the, the, the situation on earth today is truly something that is much cause for alarm. It's not only COVID, there's so many pandemics going on. And... Um, so th thank you for that clarification and how important it is to not allow being in a state of fear dampen our intuitive faculty. Absolutely. I'd like to ask something, which is obviously when things are going right, when we're healthy, our loved ones are well and safe, we have jobs or businesses that are secure, um, or even thriving, we have homes, um, one would say it's easy to feel gratitude. But what would you say to those who are unfortunately experiencing the challenges of COVID-19, either personally or um, vicariously through a loved one, those who, as a result of the lockdown, have lost their jobs or have needed to declare bankruptcy? Um, as a brain coach, what would you recommend that one does in these situations to feel gratitude, which you have just um, explained is so essential. Yes, thank you. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that anybody who's been affected one way or the other to different degrees by the COVID-19 pandemic I'd like to express my very sincere empathy uh, to such people. And as you can see, that empathy is pouring out from all corners of the globe at this time. 
And this is a very, very good thing. It makes the body lighter to bear. And it is also of both physical and spiritual benefit to those who give it, as well as to those who receive it. And no matter how anyone is affected by this COVID-19 experience, fear can only make it worse. It cannot make it better. Rather, should everyone strive and reach out to hope and hold on to hope, it could take some effort but it is worth making that effort because pessimism has been shown to worsen prognosis in all situations, whether it's to do with health or is to do with one's circumstances. And a positive attitude that sees even in the most dire situations, sees them as a challenge to be prayerfully faced has a way I must say, of attracting miraculous help. And even in the most dire situations, there will still be things one can be grateful for if you would dare or care to look. And finding such things and being grateful for them is bound to have a soothing, a healing, and healthful effect. And in addition, to keep fear and anxiety under control, there are certain measures that one can take as may be necessary. The other time, as you spoke, you asked if there could be benefit from giving gratitude, practice, practicing finding what you can be grateful for and being grateful for it. And we discuss how, yes, indeed, in the long run, this will even diminish your predisposition to fear mm -hmm. through the changes it will bring about in your, in your brain chemistry, in your blood chemistry, and even in the architecture of your, of your brain. Similarly, there are other measures you can take deliberately to try and temper fear. Take, for example, deep breathing. Deep breathing is a very potent means of calming fear. And there's a specific type of breathing. There are a number of them, but I'd like to mention a particular one that I find very, very powerful. It is called the four, seven, eight breathing. And what it means is that you adopt a comfortable position, maybe sitting down. You breathe in through your nostrils for the count of four. You hold your breath after the count of four to a count of seven. And then you breathe out to a count of eight. But as you breathe out, 
you breathe out through your mouth and putting your tongue behind your upper teeth and gum in front so that the air that you breathe out will make that whoosh sound as it has to flow you know, round the side of your tongue as it comes out. You can do this for a number of cycles, maybe 10 or whatever you can afford to have time for. And it is very, very relaxing and it has a way of keeping anxiety away, of calming your anxiety and also, therefore, calming your fear. And then people should also learn to do what we call the challenging of automatic negative thoughts in what is called killing the ants. That is killing the automatic negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. So ANT there is an acronym for automatic negative thoughts. And there are specific ways of doing this. For example, somebody loses her job. A possible automatic negative thought that will come to mind will be, ah, I'm not going to get another job. Mm. And that could set in motion a cycle that could send her into despair. But then, according to this method, she should challenge that thought and ask, do I know that that is true? That I'm not going to get another job. She should go on and ask again, do I know that it is absolutely true? Mm. Then there's a question that should follow that. How does this thought make me feel? Because it can't make you feel good. How would I feel if it were not true? Certainly, you feel better if it were not true. And then, having prepared the soil that way, you can then turn the negative thought on its head and tell yourself, I can always get another job, which is true. I can always find another way of earning a living, which is true. And then having paid for yourself and confidence in working towards a solution to your challenge. And you will surely feel much better and could also already start to feel gratitude in the hope that you will begin to have as a consequence of that. So these are just some measures that people can use for themselves at these times to attain to some calm and attain to some optimism, attain to some hope which they can then use and write upon as they objectively now seek to go about dealing with whatever situation in which they find themselves. Right. That was extremely, um, I would say, revealing for me. I practice yoga 
and breathing for quite a few years now, but I did not know about the 478 breathing technique, which I will practice. I will try it. <laughs> and I really like the idea of killing the ants. Of course, ants mean automatic negative thoughts because sometimes we we have a thought, it, it comes up, and we then take it to be gospel truth and live in that reality, which is so unnecessary sometimes because it truly is not. I like what you you ask. Is it absolutely mm -hmm. true? So. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is this is very very interesting, and I'm I'm sure Pete, everybody who's listening can definitely benefit from it. So, I would like to say there are obviously several techniques, and anybody who would work with you would obviously get to know more about them. And thank you for sharing so generously. At the mm -hmm. beginning of the interview, you mentioned that we have different thermostat settings for fear and anxiety. Now, what is interesting to understand is is this one of those things that we simply have to live with or are there things that we can actually do to change our current setting for a more peaceful and fulfilling life? Yes, certainly there are things we can do. In fact, we've mentioned some of them already. Mm. It's been found in recent times that not only does the brain chemistry change depending on your thoughts, and your, your habits and everything about your lifestyle, it's been found that the actual wiring of the brain is something malleable, something changeable in the phenomenon called neuroplasticity. Mm. So whatever the state of the brain is, whether you're born with it or you acquire it, it can always be changed through different thinking, different attitude, different behavior, and various forms of therapeutic or healing measures that may be applied. All that I said before concerning coping with your fears, like breathing, challenging your thoughts, will actually change the setting of the brain's thermostat for fear, not to mention other measures for the specific management of fear. So to answer very succinctly, yes, you do, you do and can change your brain. You can change the setting of your thermostat for anything whatsoever apart from fear because the brain is malleable the brain is neuroplastic. Everything we do has the potential of actually changing our brain. And that's something people should know. Because when people know that their brains can be changed by what they do or what they do not do, what they neglect, then they can then realize that they can take the responsibility into their own hands, knowing that their efforts are, are such that we'll be able to make a change because of the very nature of the brain and its neuroplastic uh, nature. Hmm. So does that mean that the more we feel appreciation, gratitude, love, um, openness, etc., etc., 
the easier it is to feel those emotions and to live that reality. And the more we feel fear, anxiety, close ourselves up, etc., the easier it is to also feel those emotions and live in that reality. Yes, absolutely. In fact, the picture that comes to mind is that every emotion that you feel has a way of paving a path in your brain. Mm -hmm. The more you feel that emotion, the broader that path, the wider it is, the easier and faster it is for you to travel along those paths. So if you have in your brain very broad, wide, smooth paths, for gratitude, for appreciation. Mm. Of course, the broader those parts are, the easier it is for you to travel along them. And the same will apply, unfortunately, to fear or any negative emotion. So the ball is in our court for us to map out our brains the way we want them to be so that only those things we want to flow readily in them, we'll be able to do so because we will have constructed the paths for them to flow along. And those things that we have not given much room by way of paths we've constructed, the paths existing in our brains for them will be such that it won't be easy for us to travel down those, those roads. Hmm. This is an analogy that people can, can bear in mind know that they are the architects of their own brains. That's a beautiful analogy. So for somebody who's starting to practice gratitude, for instance, um, so let's just say their pathway is not extremely broad. And I know this probably doesn't have a hard and fast rule to it. But for how many days, weeks, months, years, I don't know, would one need to practice a certain emotion? Or let's speak about gratitude for it to become something that becomes second nature, for it to have really made some serious um, headway in terms of the pathways in our brains? Well, let me first of all say that you, you're not talking, you're not saying when the changes will start, when it could become like a part of you. Mm. Well, when they will start seeing some form of, mm, I see a shape, a shift in my state. Oh, that 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 should that should that should not take long at all. I think depends on how how much you practice it and mm. on a daily basis. Even within a week, if you've done it very very well, you could begin to see shifts. But mm. some will say, oh, maybe maybe when you're done it for forty days, then. You, okay. you should be quite confident that you're, you're there, yeah. Okay, that's become a habit. Mm -hmm. That's good to know because 40 days is not a lot of time in comparison no. to the benefits that you have. No, certainly you mentioned. Mm. Mm. So as a brain coach, um, can you help people who wish to optimize the use of their minds and brains? Oh, yes. I have helped so many through the workshops that I run and in work that I do with individuals to do exactly that, to optimize the use of their brains and of their minds in several 
respect. Yes, I do that, and I'm able to do it, yes. Okay. So are your services only for high-powered executives, or can anyone who wishes to improve the quality of their life benefit from the students, um, people who don't have high-powered jobs, people from all walks of life? Is this possible? Well, certainly, apart from high-powered executives, I cover quite a broad range at the corporate and individual level. Okay. And it's a question of treating each case on its own merit. Mm -hmm. What is the challenge? And then what can we do about it? Mm -hmm. So shall we consider whoever wants to take advantage of what we offer? Fantastic. Now, I'm sure that many people would have many questions or would like to delve into how they can help themselves from what you've just said, where can you be reached? Well, I have an email address, mm. uh, novoquest at yahoo.com, N-O-V-O-Q-U-E-S-T, novoquest at yahoo.com. Mm -hmm. And I have two websites. One is www Enquests Solutions, E N Q U E S T S S O L U T I O N S dot com. Enquests Solutions, www dot Enquest Solutions dot com. And then the Limitless Health NG, www dot L-I-M-I-T-L-E-S-S-H-E-A-L-T-H-N-G.com. Those are some two websites and an email address at which I can be reached. Or at least you can know more about what I do from those websites. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. So, Dr. Aishmidu, thank you so much for all that you've shared with us today. You've been extremely generous and I have even more questions and I'm sure you'll be invited back to this podcast to maybe expand on some of the themes that we touched upon. Very, very rich. Thank you so, so much um, for Thank your you. time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Definitely. The pleasure has been shared. Now, um, I believe that even the more cynical listeners now know that a gratitude attitude is not just some new age mumbo jumbo but is indeed one of the most powerful ways of enhancing one's health and remaining in a state that will enable one to find solutions through even dire challenges. I'm sure it is now also clear that we can proactively improve our perspective by using certain tools and techniques, as well as benefiting from coaching. In Robert Holden's book, Hello Happiness, he wrote... Gratitude is more than an attitude. Gratitude is a philosophy. The philosophy of gratitude begins as a hope, grows into a belief, and finally becomes an absolute knowing. It is knowing that within any given situation, peaceful or painful, beautiful or ugly, there is always a gift waiting, wanting you to see it. My wish is that we all come to this recognition as we begin to consciously use gratitude to shield our health 
and as a means of improving the quality of our relationships, our lives, and the lives of those we're permitted to connect with. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening and investing in your power and purpose through peace. I'd love you to subscribe and share this podcast with others if you found it interesting. I invite you to share your comments with me. Till the next podcast, I wish you many magnificent experiences. Thank you.